Well, good morning. Let's do that again. How are you guys doing today? Uh, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, please excuse my uh, congested uh, voice um, on the tail end. Um, very well recovered, but on the tail end of just the cold that I had from early last week. Um, uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, this is like since the MSU venue, you know, closed for the summer. Uh, this is my first time actually being here at the Real Town venue. Uh, I was over at Holt hosting, and then I was out of town, and now finally here. Um, my name is Ye- Oh, excuse me. Oh my God. There you go. There's that. Uh, my name is Young, and I am one of the pastors here at RIV. Uh, I oversee our MSU venue, and so we are here during the summertime, uh, just because the school year is not around. Uh, we are well into our uh, Of the Spirit series um, as we discuss the different fruits of the Spirit and what it actually looks like to, to bear these fruits as those who profess to be uh, followers of Christ. Um, and for our time today, this morning, uh, I want to be very intentional uh, about my language here today, uh, because as we have examined the fruits of the Spirit as a church um, versus, for example, uh, the ways of the flesh, as the Apostle Paul writes, a foundational piece uh, to understanding how the Spirit works in the life of a Christ follower Uh, versus how the flesh works in a Christ follower or how the flesh just works in general is with this one statement here, is that the flesh looks out for the self while the spirit looks out for others, right? Let me say that again. The, The flesh looks out for the self you read these in the, the verses that come before the fruits of the spirit, but while the spirit looks out for others, okay? That's the premise that I am working off of for our time this morning. And today, we are specifically going to talk about the fruit of the spirit that is peace. We know as people who profess uh, as the church, we follow uh, a person named Jesus, right? Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, we see that the scriptures call him king, king of kings, lord of lords, prince of peace. And as people who profess to follow Christ, we don't just give our faith or place our faith into Christ, but we actually wholeheartedly, uh, I would hope, we give our allegiance to Christ as well, our entire heart's allegiance. And so when you give your heart's allegiance to someone who is called the Prince of Peace, as those who give their allegiance to the Prince of Peace, we too must represent him in this way. As those who carry the peace of Christ, Now, our time this morning, we are going to examine what that means. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please open to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25. We're going to start there. That's kind of like the, 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 the main passage for this series. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, have crucified the self with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now here's an important part of this passage. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. With that being said from the Apostle Paul, uh, let me pray for a time this morning. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Uh, Lord, we do pray today to the Prince of Peace, to Jesus Christ, our King, 
who laid down his life for his people. But you were a king, O Lord, that did not stay dead, but you conquered the grave and you said that you are a king in which you are still alive and your kingdom still reigns here on earth. That you are the prince of peace, O Lord, and I pray that today as a church family that we will understand and learn what it means to be bearers of this peace. Peace that comes from you, Lord, not peace that comes from something that we can muster up from the inside out, not peace that we can get from a therapeutic coffee shop trip as we do our devotionals in the morning, but Lord, peace that comes from knowing you, knowing that we are loved by you, knowing that you have died on the cross, was buried and resurrected from the grave. May that peace be the one that reigns in our lives this morning, Lord. May our minds be open to interpret and understand your word and our hearts be open to receive them this morning, Lord. We thank you so much and we pray this in your son's name, amen. So when the apostle Paul talks about one of the fruits of the spirit being peace, what comes to mind for you? I'm going to give you a brief moment of pause. What comes to mind when you think of the word peace? Now, now specifically, again, when the Apostle Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is blah, 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 peace. (laughs) What comes to mind? There's different types of peace, right? Maybe you think about the peace between North and South Korea, for example. That's where my mind goes sometimes. Is there really peace between the two countries? some, Some would say yes. Some would say no, like myself, right? You live in this constant anxiety of like, man, what's going to happen, right? Is, is, is that one conflict going to happen where just all chaos breaks loose? Maybe you think of inner peace, like a Buddhist, right? I have some friends who are Buddhist, <clears throat> and they think about you know, inner peace, finding the calmness within. Have you ever done hot yoga? I have. You don't find peace during the hot yoga. You sweat. <laughs> Maybe you think of inner peace like a Buddhist. Or maybe we think of the phrase chanted the last few years at a lot of rallies in light of the shooting of African Americans in our country, the phrase, no justice, no peace. Maybe you think of that. Does your understanding of peace come attached with a perceived sense of justice? Or maybe you're like me and you're waiting for this chaotic era of our country to come to an end where people are just gnawing at each other, fighting each other, just really just anticipating a moment where they can just crucify their neighbor based on their political ideologies. Or because they said this one thing in the past that utterly just triggered you. Maybe you're yearning for that kind of peace to come about in our country, in our society. Or maybe you think of the verse where Jesus said, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth, but in fact, I have come to bring a sword. I mean, when I think of that, I'm like, Jesus, did you know that Paul was going to write the fruit of the spirit is peace? Like, come on, man. Like, like, did you know that that is a fruit of one of your spirits? And you're going to say that you didn't come to bring peace, but a sword? Like, what, what does that even mean? There are a lot of things that come to mind when you think of the word peace. Or at least can come to mind when you think of the word peace. There are different aspects and interpretations of peace when it comes to how it is used and understood even in our modern world today. And I would also say that there is this, again, similar approach 
to peace in the ancient biblical world as well. Before our limited time this morning, I want to examine with you guys today, what did the Apostle Paul specifically mean when he wrote that one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace? That is our goal for today. Some of you in this room may already have put on your thinking caps. Maybe the coffee is kicking in and you're thinking, hmm, I wonder if Paul was thinking as a Jewish man that when he wrote peace, he was thinking of what? The Hebrew word, anyone know? Shalom. Very good. Maybe he was using the Greek word for peace and thinking about the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. And if you thought this, you would actually be correct. You are actually correct when you think that because when he, as a Jewish man, when Paul is writing this, he's thinking of the word shalom, which inherently has a meaning of not just peace, but it is specifically well-being or wholeness. Something that was once broken made whole again. Because when those who have shalom, for example, let me bring your attention and your mind to the Israelites of the Old Testament, they were at peace or they were at shalom with God. They were also able to, therefore, experience the shalom, the peace of God. Um, Maybe this is a favorite Bible verse for many of us. Maybe we have a t-shirt or a mug with this in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. This is a a very favorite passage for a lot of Christians. Uh, It's this, right? For I know the plans I have for you, This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Which word in this passage or phrase do you think is shalom? Hope, maybe. You can talk back, it's cool. Well-being, exactly, well-being. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Jeremiah says this to the Israelites while they're in exile, right? Plans for your shalom, not for disaster. The complete opposite of shalom, disaster, chaos, to give you a future and a hope. Out of shalom, out of wholeness, there is good future and a hope that the Lord sustains for his people. That is Paul's understanding of shalom as he writes this to the church in Galatia. Alex McGraw, who is a friend of ours uh, here at Riv, says this about shalom. She put like an Instagram story of this biblical theology that she's doing uh, as we go through the series on her own. Beautiful stuff, right? This is what she said. She said, this type of peace means wholeness. It is the idea of God bringing about restoration to the world. It's his redemptive process that starts in the Old Testament and it threads through Jesus into our future hope. The idea of shalom gets carried from the Old Testament, does not just remain there, it gets threaded into the New Testament. And as Alex said, it is thread through the person of Jesus Christ. Now I know it would be very rude of me to mention that passage of where Jesus said, you know, I've not come to bring uh, peace, but a sword and just leave that for you guys and not touch it. So I'm going to actually address it. All right. So let's talk about it. Matthew 10, 34. Jesus says, do not assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. Very not Christmas of you, Jesus. (laughs) I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does this mean? Very briefly, 
Jesus knew that as a saving Messiah, as the one who proclaimed to be the Son of God, the Son of Man, that came to save the world from sins and transgressions against God, he knew that the very Jewish people would reject that message and that only a few would believe that it was such a heretical thing to do for people, for Jewish people to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, that it would bring division into, say, a household, a home. He knew that by default, that message would bring division. This peace was not a peace that Jesus was talking about in reference to people and God, but a peace that dealt with, get this, one another. That is a theme we will see throughout today's time. Specifically, people who believed and did not believe the idea and the, uh, and the, the reality that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. Now, does this mean that we should just go around wielding this metaphorical sword so willy-nilly in our society, right, to a world that does not know Jesus? No. Why? And I guess what I mean by that is, I think a common phrase that we hear a lot in uh, uh, Western Christianity is, well, the, the gospel is offensive, so it's okay to be offensive. No, you're just being a jerk. We know that that is not the heart posture of a Christ follower because five chapters prior to Jesus saying this passage, Jesus talks about his disciples being peacemakers when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And with the numerous times that the apostle Paul mentions bringing peace or the phrase, the peace of Christ, it is safe to acknowledge that the people who follow the ways of Jesus Christ are ones who should also practice the ways of peace. Specifically, that which comes from Christ. Look at Romans 12, 17 through 18. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Tough passage for us in our cultural moment. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see, the, the human instinct if you know biology, if you know physiology, if you know sociology, if you know psychology, the human instinct is to give tit for tat. You get hit on the left cheek, you don't turn the right cheek, you swing back, or you run, one of the two. But you definitely don't turn the right cheek, that's not the human instinct. Especially in our day today, that is not the human instinct. It is ingrained into our biological wiring. And yet our morals at times may kick in and tell us that there is a better way. There is a different way. A different way to react to when evil is done to us. My wife and I just started watching The Mandalorian. I know we're like 50 years behind. But if you watch the show, there is that phrase, what? This is the way. It's a beautiful phrase that perfectly encapsulates the heart of being a Christ follower. This is the way. The way of a Christ follower when faced with evil is to not just swing back, but it is to follow the way of Christ, the way of peace. And the Apostle Paul tells us to slow down and think through our reactions when the church is faced with hostility. He not only tells us this, but he gives us a place to land. 
When faced with evil, the reaction should be honorable in a watching world. I'm going to teach you guys. I taught our MSU venue folks some of this uh, Korean, but you guys are going to learn some Korean today, all right? So there's this Korean phrase called nunchi, all right? Nunchi. All right, you can say it back with me, nunchi. nunchi. Boom, there you go, you're Korean. All right, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's not an actual English translation to this, like a one-to-one English translation. This, there isn't. But the best thing I can put up is emotional intelligence, EQ, right? It's like reading the room plus common sense plus like some other stuff, right? That's what, that's what it is. And in essence, it's the ability to pick up on social cues, to figure out what to do in a moment's notice, assuming your nunchi is high. My parents would often uh, make fun of me growing up because they loved me. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> and they would say, wow, young, no nunchi opta. That means you don't have any nunchi. <laughs> you know, if I was not able to pick up on social cues. And so that like kind of put me in a pressure cooker, and you know, now I think I have excellent nunchi. I don't know, my wife might disagree or agree, I don't know. Uh, she's glaring at me, that means no. Um, I think the Apostle Paul here in this passage, when he says to live at peace with everyone, if possible, I think the Apostle Paul is telling the church in Rome and our churches today to have nunchi when it comes to a watching hostile society. When the world is literally watching the church, figure out how to handle political division. When it's watching the church on how to handle issues on race and justice. When it is watching the church on how to handle issues on things like abortion. I think the Apostle Paul is saying have nunchi, church. That when evil and when division may try to seep into the church of God, into the house of the Lord, Paul says, have nunchi and learn how to live peaceably with one another. Two qualifiers, Paul writes as we pursue this. Qualifier one, if peace is possible amongst one another and with the watching world. Qualifier two, if you can stretch peace to as far as you are able. So not just that it is possible, but if you yourself are able to muster up the strength to live peaceably, do it. And I don't want to make the mistake that this peace is a type of passive peacemaking that the church is called to. Uh, A few years ago, I learned this phrase, Midwest passivity. (laughs) I don't think the Apostle Paul is talking about a Midwest passivity when he talks about peacemaking. Because if you actually read the, a few verses before in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, right? He actually gives these commands. In verse 14, he says, bless those. 15, rejoice with, weep with. Verse 16, live in, associate with. 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. These are all things that we can do. These are verbs. Everything that Paul mentions leading up to this moment in verse 17 and 18 points us to the very active peacemaking, active peacemaking that the church is called to, not a passive type of peacemaking. 
And so when we think about this, is that in a growing secular age, the church is called to actively meet hostility with peace, whether it comes externally or internally. The church is called to actively meet hostility with peace. As Christ followers, we should understand this the most because the Apostle Paul writes this as well in the verse, I'm sorry, in the book of Ephesians. If you want to look at the screen or you can turn there, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 18. This, is, this follows after Paul writes about um, how we used to walk in the ways as the sons of disobedience, following the principalities of the air. And he says, but God, who is you know, rich in mercy and love for us, he writes this after writing that. But now in Christ Jesus, please, under, please listen here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in what? Peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put, put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you, who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, Christ Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That is not a coincidence that Paul writes that we have been brought, we have both access in one spirit. And how he writes in Galatians about the fruits of the spirit. That is no coincidence. As Christ follows, we should understand what it means to live in peace with one another because of the peace that we have experienced with God and continue to experience through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. My friends, every single one of us in this room, I will put my bottom dollar, which is actually probably not that much, that we have experienced some form of hostility with someone in our lives. And I'll bet, again, I'll double down, that we probably have experienced some form of hostility with somebody even in the church. We are people who have experienced this because of sin. Sin does a beautiful job in a weird, twisted way to bring division. It does. Look at the Garden of Eden. It divided Adam and Eve. It divided them also, not from only from one another, but with God. And the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in conquering sin, Satan, and death is that what was once a vehicle to bring division between us and God is eliminated. It is no more. And as people who, who have placed their faith, as people who have given their entire allegiance to Jesus Christ, we understand the effects of that salvation and how it brings us unity between us and God to have communion with him once more. There's a reason why we say, I have found new life. There's a reason why we say things like, I can finally see my eyes are open to the reality 
of my sin. It is because in the context and the juxtaposition of unity with God, we finally see the division that sin brings into our lives. One of the marks of a Christ follower is not only that we have peace with God, but that we have peace with one another. Romans chapter six, verse 19, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, so then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Is this you? Honestly, I want to I give pause and, and take a look at this passage. Is this you? Do you pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another? Again, it's not passive, but do you actively pursue this? In your speech, in your thoughts, in your actions, you actively pursue this. You see, as people who have been, again, brought to peace with God through Jesus, we live this. We are called to live this out ourselves as well. Again, Alex McGraw, she continued to write this. She wrote, Jesus identifies with our struggles in the crucifixion. And we have a future hope of shalom in the new heaven and new life. But until then, we are to be microcosms of the presence of God, giving tastes of the heaven of heaven to come as he works out his redemptive plan. The peace that the Apostle Paul talks about here in Galatians 5 is both an inner peace. So this is the goal, right? The goal that we're aiming for is figure out what did he mean by peace? The peace that the Apostle Paul talks about here in Galatians 5 is both an inner peace that we have because of Christ Jesus and an outward-facing peace. Or another way to explain it is that knowing that we are made whole again by Jesus Christ as our relationship with God is reconciled, we are called to make whole again the relationships we have with one another in Christ Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit when it comes to peace is actually about unity within the church. Let me say that one more time. The fruit of the spirit of peace is not for your own individual gain. None of the fruits of the spirit are for your own individual gain. Because the way of the spirit is what? To look out for the other. This is the way. And so when we talk about the fruit of the spirit, it is not, oh my gosh, in moments of chaos, can I have peace? Can the spirit of God bring me peace? They can. There are other parts of the passage of the Bible that talks about that. But what Paul is writing here is not about you. At least not about you in a whole vacuum. It is about you and your neighbor. Can you strive for peace by the power of the spirit? especially with the fellow brother or sister in Christ. As I was preparing for this message, um, I had to ask myself, genuinely, what is the fruit of the spirit of peace? I want to get it right. I want to make sure I get it right. Because if this is about inner, internal peace, you know, when, when the storms are raging in your life, the metaphorical storms are raging, is this, is this what I have to preach on? How can you find peace in the midst of chaos? Because if that's the case, then I'm going to preach on that. But the more I studied this, the more I realized it was not about internal peace. It is about something some would even say is much harder. It is about peace amongst one another. It is about dying to the self 
because we are called to be in reconciled relationship with one another. Because think about it. If you read the passages before the fruits of the Spirit, I don't have it up, I don't have it on my, on my notes here, but the ways of the flesh, man, you read that, read it, read it today or sometime this week, and you'll realize if you follow the ways of the flesh, your ultimate result will be a divided church. So the ways of the Spirit, especially in the case of peace, is to end division and to bring people together within the church. Let me wrap up with this. Let me ask you guys an honest question. Are there people in your life, specifically fellow Christians, that you need to pursue peace with? The last two years, I've made some pretty stupid mistakes. Honestly, as a church leader, uh, someone who is you know, wanting to become an elder at our church here, it was a very heated time for a lot of us. And the word of the Lord over the last two years convicted me so much to make amends, to ask for forgiveness, to repent of my own sins, Stupid things I've said to people, whether it was because of this thing or this issue or whatever. Are the people in your life that you are called, that you know you should make peace with? Maybe they moved to a different venue because you go here. I don't know. We're still part of the same church. They just moved down to Holt or Westside. Or maybe they watch online now. Are the people in your family that don't come out to family dinners anymore that you are called and need to make peace with? Are there people who have left our church and went to a different church, same team, because there was division between you and them? This is a real challenge for us, especially in our day and age today. The fruit of the spirit of peace is not an easy one to bear because so much of the self needs to die to be crucified with Christ so that the spirit can bear this fruit of peace to pursue reconciliation and unity with fellow Christ followers. That is my challenge for our church family today. Who is that person? Who are those people? And if you love, I would love to talk to you guys if, if there's some, maybe some sticky situations there you know, as one of your pastors, I want to be able to help shepherd in that way because it's not as simple as sending a text saying, hey, I'm sorry about this. <laughs> Sometimes it takes months, years. But we must have the right posture of peace to do that. As people who follow Christ and as people who believe in the resurrection and how it brings us to God, with God, uh, union with God, we are called to practice this peace as well. And as the Apostle Paul writes, there's a watching world. How does the church handle division? How does the church handle chaos? And my prayer is that for our church, that by the power of the gospel, we would be a church, Riverview would be a church that presents itself as one that is unified, that bears the fruit of the spirit of peace 
and seeks reconciliation with one another. That is my hope and prayer for us. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us. I want to close our time asking the Lord for help in this way. Because like I said, it is not as easy as we may think. So would you pray with me? Most gracious Father, we thank you so much for um, your word. It is pretty evident, Lord, as we study your scriptures that you call us to be peacemakers, to be people who bear the peace of Christ in this world. There's so many issues, Lord, in this world, in our society that aim to divide us because the enemy, his number one goal is to divide us as people and to divide us with you. But we know, Lord, that through your spirit and through your death and resurrection and ascension, we have already already have the victory, Lord. I pray that we would learn to lean into that, that we would learn to lean into that and to pursue unity, to pursue peace with one another. I pray for every single brother and sister that I have in Christ here this morning, that you would help us to bear fruits of peace and not to choose the vision or the ways of the flesh. This is the way, Lord. This is your way. And may we choose to follow that, Lord, as we walk and live on this earth every single day. Help us, Lord, for we need it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.